WX is a podcast about design and user experience that thrives from your kind words, your nice reviews, and your giving nature. If you like what we do, do you think you could tell two friends? That would be awesome. Libux.co, where all your dreams come true. In the 1980s, Noriaki Kano, a professor and a consultant in the field of quality management, observed how customer satisfaction is determined by whether the service is good and if it meets customers' expectations about what it should be. We can suss out these expectations and plan features that satisfy them. This know-your-users paradigm is central in user experience design. However, features play off one another, and one that's poorly implemented negates the benefits of the others. It is a nuance with real impact on the success of new products or services that you introduce. Whether it's a new resource or a makerspace around the corner, a carousel on the homepage or discovery layer, a gallery on the second floor, or new study rooms on the third, good user experiences correlate not to one standout feature, but to the blending of many. All ships rise or sink with the tide. The Kano model is a tool for visualizing the relationship among features in a meaningful way. We use input about features through a simple user study to model what Jan Mormon called the uh, emotional response profile. And when applied to an existing service to align its performance with the impact that feature satisfaction has on its success, the model can be used as a targeted roadmap for pushing the meter into the green. But, as part of upfront generative research, the model is a really powerful predictive tool that shapes the creation of the service from the get-go. In this podcast, I am going to introduce you to the Kano model as a tool you should use to improve your results. It's going to require a little bit of imagination on your part. So, conjure up in your mind's eye an empty graph. It's easiest to imagine this as a 2D grid in which customer satisfaction is measured from bottom to top. At rock bottom is frustration, raw, roiling. The middle ground kind of represents some level of indifference, which swells into satisfaction. And the further you go up, transcends into delight. We measure our investment, like our time, effort, or resources, from left to right. Our costs increase as we move further into the service's life cycle, and as time goes on, it requires more to improve its quality. Each newly implemented feature takes a cumulative toll, and just as much as the Kano model visualizes our patron's response, we use it to determine the order in which features are added. The impact of a feature's performance is measured along the diagonal. As you surf the web, you'll see this called either just performance or performance payoff. I think maybe performance impact uh, better describes this metric. Consider that when you add a feature to something, you could have either implemented it poorly or well. In making new signage, your signs can have been professionally done or written in crayon. Sometimes this matters. And at the point where our feature, whatever it is, appears on the graph I just described, the performance diagonal kind of describes how much its implementation matters. The feature that costs a lot and has the potential for generating a ton of excitement 
can hurt the library more if we flub our approach. In a 900-person study, Kano was able to substantiate that customers predictably responded to features in about five different ways. For instance, there is a set of basic expectations for each service, and these don't really form in a vacuum. Instead, these expectations are influenced by things our patrons use throughout their day. The powerful markets in which there is a lot of competition, such as video streaming, Netflix, and Amazon Prime, is much higher. What he called must-have features are those that determine the completeness of a service. So my favorite analogy comes from Jared Spool. Um, It's about word processing. Bear with me. Let's pretend SpringShare, you know, LibGuides, etc. SpringShare boldly enters the word processing game with a hot, new, uh, library-specific writing tool called LibWord. Library staffers are empowered to bold their text, change their fonts, but paired with the Oculus Rift, uh, LibWord becomes the best-in-show writing tool because it allows you to traverse the written word in virtual reality. Your poetry never looked so cool. But what if Springshare forgot to add a save button? The ability for writers to save their progress is a must-have feature. Its inclusion doesn't garner SpringShare any kudos. People don't really care that they can save their work until they can't. The failure to include or include well a must-have feature is immediately dissatisfying and negates the positive impact of all the other features. We can apply this thinking to a library's reference services. While it's largely moved onto the web, It's predicated on decades of reference services that were provided over the phone. We might find that not including support for phones in this way create a lot of frustration, such as when a user calls from the busy road but can't get through. On our model, the curve of these basic expectations rarely transcend above the neutral satisfaction. So embellishing on must-have features has low return on investment. We're just aren't many ways to jazz up a phone call or improve on the save button. On the flip side, attractive features are what set services apart and generate buzz and satisfaction. They're your services, oh, neat moments. And since no one really expects them to be there, and maybe users can't even imagine them until you introduce them, there's not really any fallout for not including an attractive feature. Attractive features that also happen to require minimal investment are called something special. We call them excitement generators. That's what they do. They're what differentiate a service from one that works to one that's delightful. They're opportunities to hook users and inspire word-of-mouth endorsements. And the part there about excitement generators being, at least at first, low investment is really important. The Kano model isn't a snapshot, it's a mirror. It reflects the current condition. There was a time when offering online chat as a reference service was an attractive feature. It was as new as it was useful. Not only did other libraries implement the same feature, but it became so commonplace throughout all markets, it became expected. Now, 
reference services that fail to include some form of chat arguably come off as incomplete. The point is that over time, attractive features become basic expectations, and excitement generators are important opportunities because they present longer-term opportunities. As their impact on satisfaction diminishes, we have to put more work into them to maintain their attractiveness. And once they migrate into basic expectations, organizations just don't remove them, they support them forever. Cost attractive features are already near the end of their lives, stars preparing to go nova. And there are a few other features that Kano observed, like one-dimensional features. These track along the performance diagonal in the way that, like similar to basic expectations, not including a one-dimensional feature, or including it poorly, generates dissatisfaction, but unlike them, uh, the more you put into it, the better it's implemented, the more satisfaction it generates. There are also features that, uh, that he called indifferent features. Users don't care about these. <laughs> they never will. And then there are undesirable features, which drag the positive impact from the whole shebang down, including them as to the detriment of customer satisfaction overall. And these are often not totally out of left field that on the graph of substantial drop-off, but in my experience are on a shallow slope. I'm thinking specifically about uh, like a proactive chat where on any page of the website um, a little notification slides out from the bottom of the screen after a few seconds to ask, can we help you? That kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Undesirable features can often be gleaned through user research. If an organization conducts usability tests, it might see that the feature thought to be helpful, this little paperclip or whatever that's like, hey, pay attention to me, do you need help? Actually distracted the user from his or her task, and what's more, was really, really annoying. That is an undesirable feature. Um... And we don't want those. But really, the next big question is, like, how do we figure out which feature has what response? And Kano created a really reliable and straightforward method for measuring users' reactions to the presence of a feature. There is some footwork involved um, in your team uh, tasked with administering the survey, but I think, like, the ease of the methodology still makes this model very convenient. You start off by introducing your service to your user one feature at a time, um, and then you ask two questions. The first, how would you feel if this feature were present? And then, if it weren't, how would you feel then? The response to each feature is sussed out through this positive-negative question pair, which we use not to rate features on a scale, per se, but to visualize a sense of expectation. How we introduce the feature in our question does matter. While it's necessary to demonstrate or otherwise explain it in as much detail as needed, we have to be careful about cramming too much into the question to complicate it. But once the user understands what the feature is or does, 
Um, you ask your two questions. How would you feel if this feature were present? And if it weren't, how would you feel then? And the user can respond in one of five ways. I like it. I expect it. I'm neutral. I can tolerate it. Or I dislike it. We then use these reactions to identify where our feature fits within the response categories previously mentioned and use um, an evaluation table to see where the question and answer pairs intersect. So you guys can't really see the evaluation table um, and I'm going to try to describe it as best I can, but um, if you're interested, hit up the show notes on libux.co um, and I'll put a copy of it there. But basically, um, it's a table where uh, along the horizontal, the horizontal headings, um, representing the negative question, if a feature weren't present, how would you feel? Each column correlates to one of the five responses. So like, expect, neutral, tolerate, dislike. The horizontal is the same, but it represents the positive question with each row representing one of the responses, like, expect, neutral, tolerate, dislike. And based on how um, the user responded to each question, you know, you put like a little dot or an X kind of on the cell where the negative and the positive, the vertical and the horizontal, intersect. And this evaluation table tells you what response it falls under. So let's pretend we asked users about this um, this proactive pop-up chat feature for our reference service. And remember, this is the feature that determines that our user has been on a page of the website for like a certain amount of time, and then a notification slides in off screen to ask whether he or she needs help. Here's how, let's say, the majority of our respondents answered. The first question, how would you feel if this feature were present? They said, uh, I can tolerate it. And to the second question, if it weren't there, how would you feel? I'm neutral, I don't care. And when we shade the intersecting cell in on the evaluation table, it suggests that the mixture of a feature that is tolerated if present and nobody cares if it's not really there is what you call an unimportant feature. In 2013, Kevin Smith, not that Kevin Smith, a different Kevin Smith, um, he made a neat addition to the evaluation table. And um, in his write-up about the Kano model for Treehouse, which I'll link to in the show notes, he color-coded it. The interpretation is the same, but in my experience, this is a useful trick for really making a somewhat stoic, text-heavy table more visually impactful. And basically, all I did was mute the indifferent responses and highlight the rest with a sort of a traffic light spectrum from green to red, do and don't do. Basic expectations must have features need to be met, so they are the most vibrant green. One-dimensional features are orange, let's say, because their implementation requires care. Poor design or flawed functionality might tip these into the red, which would be in good company with unimportant and undesired features. Red. Don't do. 
in an example that you can't see, which uh, doesn't represent real data. Um, I took some of the features of a remote virtual reference service and placed them in relation to their impact on satisfaction, as well as their estimated cost or difficulty to implement. The fact that the service is offered over the phone, via email, or you know through a contact form doesn't garner much esteem, but these are basic expectations with relatively low investment. Libraries in this case tend to offer these services through text messaging too, um, which requires some form of literal cost to the user and the organization, uh, but it has almost no impact on customer satisfaction. Um, it's on our table as an indifferent feature overall, and while there may be some fans, the average response suggests that this organization is wasting time, money, and effort to support SMS messaging. This thing that we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes, proactive chat, is uh, I marked up as a one-dimensional feature that, if implemented well, could both drive engagement and allow for an element of delight. I can imagine a user thinking, how did it know that I needed help? Wow, just in time. However, there is a technical debt to pulling this off without a hitch. And in most cases, maybe you can relate, uh, proactive chat tends to be more annoying than not. What I think is really cool is that when you're done, your results are a clear indicator of either the priority in which you build the service or where you start in fixing an existing one. First, implement all the must-have features. Second, avoid or reduce all the undesirable ones. Third, uh, add excitement generators, low investment attractive features if you remember. Then fourth, uh, implement one-dimensional features with care. And lastly, create attractive features that make sense and that you can afford. And in the event there are a lot of ties or too many must-have features or opportunities to implement within the allotted time and within the budget or the talent of the team, um, you can pair the Kano questionnaire with additional methods like the Likert scale ranging from not at all important through important to weigh one otherwise equal feature against another. It can also be really useful to evaluate certain type of user, uh, like a persona you might make first. A basic prioritization, say, early adopters who have definitely been asking for this service over non-adopters makes sense. This is a marketing strategy. By appealing to early adopters during the first version of the service, it will create the word of mouth needed to hook later adopters, which will sustain usage over time. It's beyond the scope of this write-up, but it's something for the utility belt. Kano model offers stakeholders a really quite smart decision-making framework for allocating the already limited budget and talent for the biggest impact. And especially in a climate in which, say, libraries are experimenting with ways to increase usage and appeal to their patrons, it's a useful tool for avoiding duds, which are prevalent, and overpriced vendor services, which are also prevalent. 
Particularly, the model requires so little training and no real budget that it can be easily coupled with other methods for improving the user experience. And in the end, it's the user experience that matters. As we say, good UX is good business. Hey all, one last thing. We've got a book slash article clubs coming up October 27th on our LibUX Slack channel. You can join two or three hundred other folks at libuxco slash slack. Also, do you want a little extra LibUX every Wednesday in your inbox? Who doesn't get our totally non-spammy newsletter at webforlibraries.com, all spelled out. And lastly, if you don't mind, don't forget to like, share, and leave a kind review wherever you're hearing this. It helps a lot. See you next week.